Hey there, friends, family, relatives, and neighbors, everybody listening out there. Thank you for responding to my very first podcast. And here we are in my very second podcast right here. But uh, right here, the the Journey Up podcast with Hampton Sims. Thank you so much for taking the time. I uh, wanted to kind of record a message that I gave uh, actually I think it was back before the pandemic when I gave this to my church, but wanted to just tell you, you know, we, we're in a season of of battle, and our pastor uh, at the church uh, I work at uh, talked not too long ago about spiritual warfare and how we need to uh, recognize the devil as real, but we don't need to dwell on him. Instead, we need to turn our eyes toward Jesus, and so uh, it kind of brought me back to this message that I had uh, uh, that I had preached several months ago and wanted to share with you uh, entitled Battle Ready, Weapon of Choice. Every battle yields a weapon. As a matter of fact, we, we don't even get a full four chapters into the beginning of the Bible before we start to see warfare even between brothers. Cain, in his fury, kills his brother Abel. Where our canonized scripture doesn't say exactly how, some would say it was a stone, while others would argue it was a knife since he was a hunter. I'm, I'm certain there's still other theories as to Cain's weapon of choice. But from there, we see throughout the Bible as well, uh, as throughout history, where short-range fighting instruments were forged. The axe, as Vikings later would choose because of the ease and cost. Uh, the sword, many years later, the favorite of medieval knights and the symbol of Arthur's round table, as we remember. Uh, the spear or the javelin, the bow, along with various and sundry other relative, uh, relatively short-range weapons. As time marched on, though, medium-range weapons were invented, including the much larger version of the slingshot, the catapult. Then on to guns, as we would see in our mind's eye, the American Revolution musket and the cannon and even surprisingly primitive submarines in the American Revolution. I don't know if you knew that or not. But eventually the Civil War brought around the Gatling gun. The First World Wars gave giving us grenades and planes and tanks and flamethrowers, along with poisonous gas, which were some weapons that helped us move toward long-range warfare with larger impact or blast zones. It's interesting as you go through and study that. With every age, though, came new types of warfare. Like the advent of the atomic bomb dropped first in World War II. More biochemical weapons continued to develop as well as remotely controlled missiles of the Gulf War. And you remember the first time you heard the phrase smart bombs? Yeah, the century turns and we begin using drones to deliver warfare and continue to infiltrate the Internet with cyber weaponry. Weapons have been used on the defense and the offense throughout history, but one thing remains, every problem we face is a battle, and every battle requires a weapon. So my question to you is, what what are the battles that you're fighting today? Did, did you wake up this morning in the midst of a battle? Have you recently finished fighting a battle? Maybe you have one coming up uh, you don't know about yet even. Have, have you been betrayed by a friend this week that you thought you could trust or were you bypassed for an expected promotion at your workplace? Maybe you received a medical diagnosis that's shaken you to your very core. I, I don't know. Maybe it's an unexpected death or family issues, or maybe you have 
$18 and two pennies in your bank account and you can't seem to make the paycheck last as long as the bills last. I, I don't know what it is, but let me encourage you today to choose your weapon before you head into battle. You see, the battle is not conductive uh, or conducive rather to careful, rational analysis of the situation with reasonable slow and steady strategic response. If battle is quick. We've got to be on the ready. We've got to know our strategy before we get there. As we read the story of Jehoshaphat, we see his weapons of choice as he prepares for battle against three nations that surrounded him. Right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be, Jehoshaphat's prayer. Uh, he starts out, he says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with some of them the Mayunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men uh, came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. That's what we would better know about. And I'm reading out the English Standard Version today. Uh, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord. Man, what an awesome way to prepare for battle right there. Verse 5 says this, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came to the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but, he says, our eyes are on you. How awesome. Do, do you see his first weapon right there? It's prayer. It's nothing else but prayer. His immediate response was to go to the Lord, not to consult with the experts or gather in the situation room. He didn't sit down with the leaders of his army, even though it said he had more than a million men serving just him militarily. The force of one country's army is ill-matched with the force of three countries invading. Most of the time, that does not work out very well for the country being invaded. He gathered everyone who would go to battle, and instead of strategizing, he stopped. He forged the weapon of prayer and turned them toward the Lord. How cool is that? Verse 18 clues us into a second weapon of choice. Watch this. It's, it's going to be very similar. It, it's praise and worship. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18, he says this. It says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the, uh, the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. 
And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they were out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. How crazy! Through the scripture, we're instructed to, to lift a song of praise to God. Despite the outcome of the battle, this, friend, is the way to victory. I've no doubt that Jehoshaphat was fearful. I wonder if he even felt like organizing an impromptu choir at the time, but he knew that's what he had been instructed to do. It was through obedience to the word from the Lord, his weapon of choice. It wasn't praise of his military leaders or even praise of his own expertise. It wasn't praise of the size of his army. It was the praise of the one true God. King Canute was once ruler of the North Sea Empire of Denmark, England, and Norway. I love this story. The members of his court in the late 900s or early 1000s were continually full of flattery all the time. You're the greatest man that ever lived. You're the most powerful king of all. Your highness, there's nothing you cannot do. Nothing in this world dares disobey you. They just continued to flatter him over and over again. The king was a wise man, and he grew tired of his subjects' foolish speeches. So one day as he's walking by the seashore, Canute decided to teach them a lesson. So you say I'm the greatest man in the world, he asked them. Oh, king, they cried. There's never been anyone as mighty as you, and, and there never will be anyone so great ever again. And you say all things obey me, Canute asked. Yes, sire, they said. The world bows before you, and it gives you honor. I see, the king answered. In that case, bring me my chair and place it down by the water. So the servants scrambled to carry Canute's royal chair over the sands. At his direction, they placed it right at the water's edge. The king sat down and looked at the ocean. This is what he said. I notice the tide is coming in. Do you think it will stop if I give the command? Oh, give the order, O great king, and it will obey, cried his entourage. See, cried Canute, I command you to come no further. Do not dare touch my feet. Well, he waited a moment, and a wave rushed up the sand and lapped his feet. <laughs> How dare you, Canute shouted. Ocean, turn back now. I've ordered you to retreat before me, and now you must obey. Go back. In came another wave lapping at the king's feet. Canute remained on his throne throughout the day, screaming at the waves to stop. Yet in they came anyway until the seat of his very throne was covered with water. So finally, Canute turned to his entourage and said, It seems I do not have quite so much power as you would have me believe. 
Perhaps now you will remember there is only one king who is all-powerful, and it is he who rules the sea and holds the ocean in the hollow of his hand. I suggest you reserve your praises for him. Man, what a powerful story. Our praise goes to him and him alone every time in preparation for the battle. And the end result is victory. We read in verse 24, it says, When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped, not one. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. Their hands were so full. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Baraka means blessing, according to the footnotes here in my ESV. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of blessing is what it's saying to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. There wasn't another country that was willing to come against Jehoshaphat when the Lord gave Israel the victory. Man, he started out in prayer. He continued through praise and worship. And God's ultimate result because of Jehoshaphat's obedience was victory. Uh, the victory was for him the, the same as it'll be for us. Peace on every side. Psalm 119, 165 states in the NIV, it says this, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. My victory is peace. Your victory is peace. Let me caution you, though, that your victory is not just meant for you to have sitting on the shelf of your spiritual closet. James chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above. He fully intends for you to bring him glory in and through the battle. His peace is a spoil of warfare, a loot, if you will, uh, meant to remind you of his goodness when you partake in it. When you have peace, it's not because of what you've done or how hard you've fought or how strategic you were in life planning. It's not because of how you outperformed your opponent in battle. It is because he, the Lord, fought for you, destroyed the enemy, and now awards you peace on all sides, and it is for his glory. It's interesting in, in verse 13 that the author chooses to remind us in this assembly that there were wives and children present as Judah was preparing for battle. Let, let me speak very candidly to men for just a moment. Back in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14, listen to what it says. And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of 
Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Uh, very interesting right here that the men of Israel were seeking to provide the best example in front of their wives and children that they possibly could. When they were faced with a battle, it wasn't just a battle of one family. It wasn't just a battle of one person or one king or one military. It was a battle against a whole nation. An entire nation's existence depended upon this interaction, this war right here. And so the men were trying to set an example before their wives and children of prayer and praise and worship. Now, I know that's difficult for some of us. I know some of us enjoy going to church more than others. But our obedience is what makes the difference. It was Jehoshaphat's obedience through prayer and then through praise and worship that saved the nation of Israel, that, that caused the three invading countries to turn against each other instead of invading Israel. Israel was safe because Jehoshaphat decided to obey through prayer and through praise and worship. Man, it's your job to be the spiritual leaders in your house, to take your family where they need to go on a weekend, on a midweek, where they can be able to have the opportunity to pray and to praise and worship and watch you do the same. That's where we get the victory. The battle's never yours to win or lose. Victory comes from him. Jesus is my victory. And he can be yours also if you just believe today. Call on his name and see how he shows up in your battle. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. Lord, I thank you for 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that gives us battle-ready weapons. Lord, may we choose the same weapons that Jehoshaphat chose. May we choose a weapon uh, of warfare in prayer. May we choose a weapon of warfare in praise and worship. Uh, Lord, may we choose a weapon of obedience uh, to be following your will in our lives. May we make those strategic decisions now, not in the midst of battle, but before we get there, may we strategize to, to empower our own lives and be battle ready through prayer, through praise and worship, and through obedience to you. God, I pray for those who are listening right now, even that if, if, if they cannot seem to experience victory in their lives, if they cannot seem to experience peace in their lives, that they would immediately today turn toward you. Lord, may their prayers turn toward you. May their praise turn toward you. May they become obedient to you so they too can, can experience victory and that victory is your peace. 
God, I pray for those who are listening. And I pray for Christians that they would be empowered also. Maybe they they try to seek counsel and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Lord, maybe they 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 try to use other methods to experience peace. But God, may they realize today the weapon of choice is prayer and praise. Lord, I, I pray that we would all turn our hearts toward you so that when the enemy advances toward us and tries to defeat us, we will already be suited up for battle. Lord, I pray that you would surround us with a hedge of protection, that we would seek to glorify you in all things so that we can experience your victory in peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, thanks for being a part of this podcast. I hope that it was encouraging to you wherever you are on your way to uh, school or to work or back to the house or to visit somebody. Uh, may you be ready in your own life for the battle when it comes. It's going to come. Jesus promised that uh, that uh, that we wouldn't have an easy life just because we're Christians. As a matter of fact, he almost promised the opposite, that, that people will oppose you, that you will have troubles in this world. He said that. His words were that. In this world, you will experience trouble. But don't be disheartened. He says, I have overcome the world, and he wants to give you the victory of peace today. Thanks for listening. Be encouraged on your journey up, and we will see you next time.